Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. My name is Matt, and join me, as always, is Pete. Ahoy, ahoy, Pete. These guys are lucky I'm so ethical and considerate. Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, featuring Lower Decks for episode 106, Terminal Provocations, comes to you now via dilithium displacement manifold vibrations. And news from the fleet before this episode leaves orbit. So glad to have covered uh, most of the breadth and width of Star Trek Day on Star Trek Day. That was certainly uh, certainly a fun experience, capping off uh, four or five days in a row of podcasting as well. So nice to get those juices flowing. And uh, really just a great celebration of where Star Trek has been, where Star Trek is now, and where it's headed. A lot of fun. We covered the obvious panels, Discovery, Picard, Lower Decks, Strange New Worlds. A uh, little mention of, of some of the other ones as it applies, but uh, the, the new content and the forthcoming content. So you want to check that out either on FantasticGeek.com or Apple Podcasts. With that, let's get ready for the Ready Rundown. Program complete. Enter when ready. The episode opens with Lower Deckers giving whooshes and shizzes of engine sounds. It's silly. The Cerritos is having a standoff with the Drukmani over an old, the animated series cargo ship. Captain Freeman won't give up an inch, nor will she agitate things. The Drukmani end up repulsor beaming cargo at the Cerritos. Meanwhile, Ensign Fletcher is slurping slurpees and patching things up between Mariner and Dr. Tana, the catter of which, er, ladder of which, throws down the ultimate insult. Do you want to work on Starbase 80? Fletcher, Mariner, and Boimler are switching out isolinear chips and might risk missing the choo-choo dance. Fletcher will wrap up here, go choo-choo. Afterwards, it was a nice diversion, but look, Fletcher is down. He says he was phasered, and now the isolinear core for the shield is missing. The trio will investigate. Delta Shift. Fletcher is ready to fight, but Delta Shift was at the choo-choo dance 2-2. Rutherford wonders, too tendy if they'll need to spacewalk for cargo retrieval, but she never passed Spacewalk 101. They head to the holodeck for Rutherford Training Program 2.5 with Badgie, the training delta that in no way sounds like Kenneth the Page. There are some badgy glitches and ominous music. The missing core results in the shields taking damage from the Drukmani, leading to safety protocols being turned off in the holodeck. Badgy goes mean in simulated space and turns killer in the simulated Bajoran marketplace. Badgy still pursues, but he's impacted by the physical parameters of the simulation. Hollow ice planet, anyone? Meanwhile, Boimler and Mariner realize Fletcher is telling a fib about the core. He had hooked his brain up to the core, and now it's a sort of Borg-slash-Control-slash-Moriarty kind of tech. The core starts to grow and turn sentient. Mariner highlights that, though she may be a rule-breaker too, she only breaks the dumb rules. Fletcher wants to blame the cues, but our heroes get uh, it to the airlock and blast it out of space, right towards the Drukmani. The sentient core thing takes out the attacking Drukmani. Rutherford stands up to his creation, and they fight. The hollow father apologizes to hollow son, and while Badgie freezes, Rutherford does what needs to be done, taking Badgie out. The program resets, but does Badgie remember? 
Fletcher threatens to take Mariner and Boimler down in his act, but Mariner turns it into a promotion for Fletcher, and he's headed off ship. It'll be a new chance for Fletcher, but one week later, he's been fired for being the goofus he was all episode. Mariner's plan worked out. After all, she's all Starfleet. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. Pete, with that threat analysis, let's start with Fletcher. Stupid, stupid Fletcher. He who peed his pants and then lied to his fellow beta shift lower deckers trying to frame the Delta shift and uh, gets promoted to Riker and Troy ship. <laughs> uh, I I really enjoy the fact, I don't know that they're going for full-on social commentary, but the fact that Fletcher is essentially somebody who's willing to blame others for his own mistakes uh, seems very timely. Uh, I suppose there's also a timeless quality to it as well, but just this idea that you know, if he was overwhelmed having asked his on-duty uh, lower deckers to, to step away from work and go enjoy the choo-choo dance, if he was feeling overwhelmed with the work that was left, he could have called them back or he could have you know, asked for, for help from other people who were on duty or whatever. Instead, tried to carry everything on his shoulders and when it didn't work out, turned into the blame game, trying to find the other who did it as opposed to stepping up like a man. What is smartly baked into the show is the inherent guy we've never seen or gal we've never seen before who they can act like has always been a fixture with the crew. We've just never seen them. Okay. This rapport like with Ascension guy or this one. And then by the end of the episode, they're, they're sent, they, they ascend or they're sent off to the Titan or worse. Yeah. Starbase 80. Damn. Uh, we also have as a threat, the Drukmani scavengers. I believe the lead one voiced by JG Kurtzler. Oh, it was great. The, the minute I heard the voice and then the fact that the character has an eye patch, <laughs> which is just a great homage to his uh, Martok. Yeah. Uh, love, love that they were able to bring in JG. And, you know, they're, they're serviceable baddies enough in that they're actually the conflict for the B plot. Um, and, and the thing that at the end of the day needs to propel, uh, the, the Mariner Boimler Fletcher story, as well as the Rutherford Tendy Badgy story. Uh, so, you know, I mean, they're, they're threat enough. It's, it's Freeman, you know, with one hand tied behind her back because she doesn't want to escalate, but doesn't want to have the ship destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. So those Drukmani did the job the story required of them. There's an argument to be made that the pack lids would have been the ideal choice here to do this, but I think it would have overpowered what was going on in the story between Shax wanting to blow up the other ship's warp core because he's been a good boy this month and uh the threat that winds up taking them out of the sentient fletcher isolinear core uh who by the way we never ever see again is probably out there assimilating more technology and will become a threat bigger than the borg that discovery will face down in its fourth season <laughs> That certainly would be an interesting level of uh, cross-pollination. 
Pete, maybe we are sitting, though, on the most surprising threat. Uh, in fact, a threat that when I sat down to watch this episode, uh, since you and I share a CBS All Access account, um, if, because of CBS All Access's terrible user interface, I didn't have the option to restart the episode. So it started in the middle. I knew nothing about this episode. I pressed play, and there's a Starfleet Delta breaking people's bones off and blood spurting <laughs> everywhere before before I can rewind. You know, before I can press the rewind button. Um, Badgy, just I mean, in line with many a holodeck malfunction, uh, and also uniquely suited for animation. I mean, with the Mickey Mouse esque arms and and gloves and boots, uh, makes me think of you know any number of things they were trying to reference, like the little Microsoft paperclip that it uh, you know give you hints when you started to do something back in the day on like Microsoft Word uh, to, you know, the absurdity of a, of a South Park in a character like Towley, uh, you know, a, a marijuana addled towel who's always getting into misadventures. Um, great character that it is a glitch on the holodeck not new ground that it's this helpful program for for training and i love too that it didn't get used it's not everybody's it's just rutherford's and it didn't show up when when ransom was trying to train rutherford maybe even influenced by those events but um that he is voiced by jack mcbrayer and jack mcbrayer maybe most famously voicing uh, in Wreck-It Ralph, Fix-It Felix, and there's a glitch there with Vanellope. I mean, this was really thoughtfully uh, cast. And you add to it, you know, McBrayer has this, you know, has this corn-fed Iowa, yep. you know, wide-eyed uh, natural timber to his voice, which obviously he, he rode to great success on, on 30 Rock. And then to have him going from super nice, helpful to, you know, because I want to bathe in your blood. Yeah, I mean, it was biting the head off of a, a Bajoran hollow citizen. It was just like awesome. This is why holodeck malfunction stories, though, perhaps a bit tedious, because at what point do you sit and go? Uh, we're just going to hardwire the safety protocols in, you know, like in, in a real world scenario. I mean, obviously the holodeck is the place to bend, to bend reality in a mostly safe way. Um, but, but it's for reasons like this, why holodeck malfunction stories exist to just, you know, this was extreme, even for the animation style of lower decks, which again, as I said last week, we're getting animated stories, but they're being told in the prime Star Trek universe. This is the place to have, the maniacal badge ripping arms off and biting heads off and whatnot. Completely. Uh, with Delta Shift, I love that, you know, we've seen the other group now, and obviously, you know, they work at different times, but that the two that we see first initially get cast in the bully trope and then kind of come off like the seventh graders from South Park. Yeah, I mean... It's convenient. It had been convenient in the past for Delta Shift to be some sort of antagonistic whatever. But you walk away from this episode saying, no, it's just kind of, you know, you know, we are Starfleet and there are little 
you know, there are little rivalries within the ship, within the uh, the shifts, etc. But, you know, it's actually not all the bad kids are in Delta Shift and all the good ones are in the first three. It's, it's you know, it's a little shoving back and forth verbally. And then it's like, well, wait, no, no, no. Let me, don't you forget you were there? Here's my evidence. Oh my goodness. I see your evidence. I accept it. Sorry, apologies. And they move on. The isolinear core that destroys the Drukmani, okay, and winds up saving the day. The Cerritos, again, being the B players of Starfleet that they are, basically, well, we don't quite know how we got out of that one, but we're going to take credit for it anyway, because we're also Starfleet. But that the core is essentially Fletcher's personality, uh, right down to its final words about not mentioning his father if there was an area of this episode that gets a b plus from me as opposed to the a work elsewhere it would be the ever-growing core i mean it did uh, particularly on the heels of star trek discovery season two and the control ai doing basically the same thing including at one point informing the probe that becomes a space squid and whatnot um it just seemed a tad familiar to me. Now, I will grant you, you know, something with, uh, you know, octopus tentacles is as far from the human form just about as you can get and still be kind of recognizable and scary and weird and all that. So I think maybe I'm wagging my finger a bit too much and it's just operating within the tropes of here's what of, you know, here's something that was human and now is moving to the opposite of it. Uh, but, you know them's them's the breaks it's certainly uh the the core issue the core that comes alive got the job done and you know pete speaking of that isolinear core a receptacle of knowledge all our past podcasts current ones future ones all that made possible by the people who support us on patreon.com it's like our own brain scan but nothing is going crazy with tentacles Everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, all sorts of levels. There's even the level where you can get engrams of our thoughts. Uh, nobody's paid for that one yet, though. We'll have to see. Uh, can't contribute this month. That's fine. Get yourself over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Takes seconds or review. Takes a little while longer, but all are appreciated. Pete, as we set our long-range sensors to theories, surely this episode is ending with the most modest of cliffhangers in terms of anticipating the return of Badgie one day, right? I, it's got to happen. It's got to happen. I mean, fair to say, a breakout character? Uh, I, I think there is the potential there. Again, especially in that in that world of holodeck slash, oh no, escape from the holodeck, or in the computer system, or things like that. There's plenty of opportunity for mayhem. Um, and then add to it, you know, it tying back directly to our main characters here, it a creation of Rutherford. Rutherford's somebody who, Pete, you know, for a number of episodes, I've been saying, no, 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 they're not going to pursue... Uh, a romantic interest between Rutherford and and Tendi. Uh, maybe it's time for me to back off that theory a bit because clearly, maybe it's not 100% clearly, but I certainly read Rutherford's uh, desire to train Tendi as part of his, uh, part of the like that he has in his heart. Yeah, I mean, he says that she's cute. 
I, I'm fine with it. It doesn't seem necessarily, and I think that's how we want her as an Orion to not be cast in the idea of, well, they're just completely defined by their sexuality. Certainly she can like him in return. I think if they're going to go down that road, it's going to be earned romantically instead of Orion sexy green girl stuff um, and, and give her that agency she so much deserves. Uh, Matt, let's talk about the real ship that everybody wants. What real ship is that? Oh, the uh, Titan? What's that? The Titan? No, 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 no. A relationship, Matt, like the kids say. There's oh. an apostrophe in front of ship. Right. Uh, what, is, what is the ship everybody wants? Mariner and Boimler? No. Come on, man. Dr. Tana and Shax. Um, wow. That would be... He that planted would be quite a, a big lot. kiss on her when, you know, the, the, the day was saved at the end. I mean, that that's the one everybody wants, right? I have mental images that I did not know <laughs> I would have um, from Star Trek. So there you go. Um, all I can say, Pete, I think the prophets, the Bajoran prophets would be surprised. What went down on Starbase 80 and why, unlike the Starbase from Star Trek three, it is actually the hind end of space. <laughs> um, I mean, one can assume perhaps it is a matter of, uh, of professionalism. Uh, but then you say, but doesn't Starfleet work to rehabilitate these people? And if there's a, if there's a bad team on a, on a, on an assignment, don't you swap people out till you make it right? Uh, so then maybe indeed, Pete, it is a matter of location that it's not, it's not that that's where bad officers go necessarily, but it's where you go for your career not to be advanced because Pete, maybe it is, maybe it is the deep space nine that deep space nine was intended to be before the wormhole opened up before people cared about it being the crossroads of space. Um, when it was just kind of Cardassian stay over there and Bajorans, I don't know, feel a little sad about that whole occupation thing we'll kind of send send a guy you know send send a lower tier officer there so maybe that's it maybe it's in the middle of nowhere it's not explicitly stated but did mariner ever serve there and somehow get transferred uh i feel like no because i feel like it being the worst place and she's kind of so shocked that somebody you know dared throw that throw that out again she's a she's a good officer with a bad attitude which i think is different than being a bad officer she's not the barclay she's not you know to a certain degree uh the um the the fletcher of the episode she's better than that so i don't think she ends up at the backwater i think there's kind of constantly this thing of we got to get rid of her but hey you have an officer who who uh wants off you know like last week hey we'll do a swap or that, that kind of thing let's let's solve each other's personnel problems versus like oh my goodness she's the worst cryo frozen princesses floated as possibly being in the uh the containers that the cerritos is there to salvage matt obviously what we would refer to as a real easter egg instead of q was mentioned <sighs> fantastic easter egg we discovered it's cute um 
Yeah, uh, to me, an equal Easter egg of sorts. You know, here they are briefly using that cargo ship design from the animated series. As soon as I saw that, it was just this this great moment of familiarity. I would have, I, I wished that maybe somehow it tied back to, you know, a ship from the animated series or some sort of, you know, it was a ship like this that just, you know, then refer to the old episode. But tons of references here that are that are plenty fun. Tendy is an ensign only because of the spacewalk clerical error at Starfleet Academy. So, like, are they going to rip her out of service? She got a B for it, too. Well, I mean, she has the grade on her transcript. I don't know how many uh, cadets the Academy graduates every year, or maybe they have two graduations a year. I don't know, fall and spring. Um, One would imagine it's... At the very at the very least, hundreds a year, if not thousands a year. So I kind of feel like it's one of those things where, oh man, in, in the course of her four years at the academy, you know, thirty five thousand people graduated. Uh, okay, yeah, along the way, some mistakes are going to be made, and if you know, as with a lot of us, Pete, if a mistake gets made in your favor, then you go, oh, I'll just be quiet about it. Um, and I think that's the case here. Also, also, you know, it. it drives the plot of the episode so it's probably a slight matter of convenience and uh hopefully she never has to spacewalk again in addition to badgie the other thing that a story half of which is centered in the holodeck here does well is acknowledge all the villainous holodeck characters or all the famous people we can interact with on the holodeck yeah, and certainly a fun moment of reference, particularly when you put that list together and it goes and it goes and it goes and it goes. And therein is your therein is your modern, lighter Star Trek that's kind of winking at itself and saying, yeah, sometimes holodeck stories are ridiculous or are excuses to have a crazy moment or a cameo moment uh, or, or that sort of thing. Something that's outside the storytelling universe, but also in it. And, you know, it was... This show is obviously steeped in making all sorts of references, and this was a really a really great one. The choo-choo dancing Zebulon sisters, which Mariner has seen before, uh, are best left unseen. And the hype that builds around this plot point to get them out of the Fletcher story for a minute and then come back to this mystery uh, really, really works. And also, where can I get a choo-choo shirt? Pete, I know there are some people on Twitter, including uh, our Twitter follower, Lean Isabel, that's L-E-E-N-I-S-A-B-E-L, who I believe have made shirts. Uh, I know that there is the weekly limited run of uh, of shirts that that a a t-shirt company in partnership with Lower Decks is creating. I think this one, though, is handmade. Uh, regardless, Pete, there's not much I would, there's not much I would quote unquote cosplay to in a convention. I don't really cosplay, you know. I'll throw on my cap, my understated Captain America shirt or my, you know, my kind of like an understated Star Trek shirt. Uh, I would not rule out uh, getting a choo choo shirt for when it is safe to go to a Star Trek convention again. Um, as for the dance itself, you're absolutely correct. I mean, it, it it's back to the yellow barrels in Jaws and other things where it really is, you know, it's the unseen is scarier if it needs to be. It's more sensual if it needs to be. It's, it's that ethereal thing. 
and the fact that everybody else describes it as so amazing we don't see it means that the choo-choo dance i saw might have been different than the choo-choo dance you <laughs> saw in your mind uh but it's all amazing especially when they add the third chew yes uh holodeck stories invariably mad it comes down to the safety protocols being shut off in some way i guess we still haven't developed a safety for the safeties yeah, and I think my first reaction to you raising that point is uh, digging too deep on things like that. That's where Star Trek fans can become tiresome. Because, yes, of course, at this point, you know, where I, I know there was a holodeck of sorts not called one in the animated series. In terms of the chronological presentation of Star Trek, the first time was with Next Generation. And really quickly, they were leaning on it as... There's a mistake gone wrong. Uh, I guess it's not a mistake gone wrong. There's a situation gone wrong. Uh, now we can do dress up in, you know, the 1930s. Now we can have all sorts of alternate adventures, which is the point of the thing uh, story-wise. If you dig too deep mentally and say, so at what point did they just put, you know, seatbelts on the seatbelt and call it done? Well, then it takes away the purpose of it originally, which is to have crazy things happen. So I'm with you in spirit, but... No good answer other than story asked for it. The Bajoran marketplace comes right out of uh, Deep Space Nine uh, in terms of some backgrounds. Um, what do they call the, the matte paintings? Okay, really, really nice touch. And then uh, tangentially matte with our Bajoran on the show, Shax, who's been a good boy this month. Um, I need bad boy Shaq's stories uh to come up what are what are times he's you know blown up the ship without uh captain freeman's permission well i don't know that he's necessarily act outside of permission uh within starfleet but as we've discussed in the past he looks to be older than not and he is uh i believe lieutenant junior grade um so in my mind his age plus his low rank plus where we're at in the, the Star Trek chronology. This is probably a guy who spent a big chunk of his life uh, fighting the Cardassians on Bajor. So what we would now call freedom fighters, you know, because they won their freedom, uh, but also possessing what the Cardassians might call, you know, a skill set of terrorists. So he's, he's used to, you know, if there is some sort of, you know, primal bloodlust that isn't going to be uh, addressed by, I don't know, uh, punching the old... Uh, boxing ball thing uh, or you know uh, hollow hunting you know he's somebody who presumably has killed real creatures real Cardassians used his hands to choke the life out of them etc cetera, etc cetera. and now he's in this job where he can still do security and he can help out the Federation that's helped out Bajor uh, but they don't let him do the thing he actually spent most of his life doing which is when there's a bad guy it's a clear bad guy and you blow him away and then there's no more bad guy so I feel like there's a pathos built in, even though, Pete, I'm not a hunter, I'm not a fighter, uh, etc. I feel for the guy because he's really good at what he's good at in life. And now he's at a spot in life where it's like, no, no, we're not going to use the fantastic weapons that are right in front of you. We know that Q is coming to Lower Decks. It is not a spoiler. They put it out there in promotional material. It's going to be 
little cameo. It's going to be voiced by John Delancey, but we've had several references in the run-up to that to Q, and we know that Q has appeared on the Enterprise-D and also on Voyager and Deep Space Nine. So apparently other spots within the fleet, and basically it becomes an alibi for crazy stuff. It does, and I know I've said this in the past, but what must it be like psychologically to live in these advanced societies uh, where there is more often than not uh, galactic harmony, galactic peace? Yes, there's periods of war, certainly, uh, but just where all of this, there's been all this advancement, you know, world after world where there's no more hunger, where there's no more strife, uh, there's no more want. Uh, and, and you look around and go, and we've made this galactic federation and we've made treaties. And right now things are cool with the, the Cardassians and the Romulans and the Klingons. And it's like, it doesn't get any better than this. And then a guy shows up and says, everything that you believe in, including all your religions and all your traditions and all your, your general orders one and all of that, it's all useless because I'm a magic God. And, you know, so of course they're all talking about Q. And if it went sideways like that, we could just pull a badgie and with our seemingly dying breaths claim diplomatic immunity. <laughs> diplomatic immunity. Yeah, I guess it didn't work for badgie, which, Pete, this isn't exactly a theory, but can we just talk for for 20 seconds about the metal that it must have taken Rutherford to take his holographic child and as the life was freezing out of it to snap Badgie's neck. Right. <laughs> or that Badgie bleeds. <laughs> uh, Fletcher promoted, transferred to Titan, fired six days later. So like I said before, makes for these one-off storylines. Everybody wants to see more Badgie. Nobody wants any more of Fletcher. Yeah, and I think because as the episode makes it clear, he's a bad teammate. He's a bad member of Starfleet, not because he makes mistakes, not because he wears his sleeves pushed up, not because sometimes he believes in, you know, alternate thinking or going against the order or questioning uh, hires up and whatnot, but he's a bad teammate. So he can't be relied on in a, in a Barclay capacity where you go, all right, well, let's give him the slightly easier stuff. Uh, or, or the, you know, alternate Jean-Luc Picard, uh, we'll give him some easy science. But he can get the easy science done and somebody else can do the harder science. It's great. It all works out. He, he's just an anomaly because he's not he's not working for the greater good. He is selfish. Further reinforced for uh, what he was fired for, burning trash in the warp core. Stupid, stupid Fletcher. And then it, it's a quick reference, but the captain's yacht, we've seen it in action in uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Uh, Mariners got the keys to it. Got to be an adventure at some point, right? Stealing it. I would hope. And if it isn't, what I like is that it lives in its own clearly understood canon, understood to us. How would Mariner, of all people, get the keys to the yacht of the captain of all people well we know the mother-daughter connection where again apparently there's only two people on the entire ship that know that it's mariner and freeman um so do we get a captain's yacht story i don't know maybe not are we going to get some kind of closure in their relationship or expansion of the knowledge of it in terms of other characters knowing about it that's something i really look forward to in the remaining four episodes 
With that, let's go to hailing frequencies. Hailing frequencies open, sir. We start, Pete, with our traditional poll. Uh, how did people vote? The first option, one star. End of program, got 5.6%, probably from somebody who didn't watch it. Fine. Uh, two stars, gimme Lieutenant Pips. That was 8.3%. Three stars, Choo Choo Choo, got 19.4%. And then four stars, Bajoran Temple, got 66.7%. Ooh, almost 666. We could have had the animated <laughs> series Devil, or was it the Devil, question mark, appear, or the Next Generation Season 2 Devil, or was it the Devil, question mark, appear. Wait a minute. Were they ripping off old stories in Season 2 of Next Generation? <laughs> Maybe they were, but Pete, this certainly a, uh, a heartily... Uh, rated episode uh we had some tweets as well beyond trek podcast it's at beyond trek pod said 11 stars badgie tutorial guide uh jt atkins said i just want to say that i'm confident that if i had seen this episode by now i would have loved it i'm certain and i will uh so i guess jt hasn't watched it yet but he has he has confidence uh james is at big killing uh said badgie for the win um we had a comment here from Annie Harrington, our 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 good old pal who's listening there anytime left. That's T-H-Y-M-E. She said, did you guys see Tawny Newsom echo your theory about Mariner on The Ready Room? Uh, Pete, I did not. I actually had replied to her, uh, at least for me, and I think it's generally true of you as well. I try to avoid other people's after show takes for fear that I'm going to rip it off. Yeah. And even like once we're done with this episode, I'm not necessarily going to seek out stuff from other sources other than memory alpha because otherwise next week i'm going to be like pete i dreamed up this great theory about how whatever and instead it's going to be like oh no tony newsom said that and i was driving and i was listening to it so pete i i, I don't know what tony newsom said yet but i'm waiting for annie to uh, to get back to us i don't either i i follow the similar practice and uh yeah looking forward to to what that is uh we heard from steve mishkin who said best episode yet loved it um I have to think about that, Pete. Was it? The, I, I I don't know that I don't disagree. If that's not enough negatives, it's definitely uh, an upper echelon. I mean, Badgie just puts it in a in a special category, and that's yeah. why, you know, I mean, geez, Matt, Badgie could potentially be the con of Lower Decks. Yeah, and I also think, I mean, there's a special potency to holodeck stories i think of the big goodbye in season one of next generation when holodeck guy who only finds out towards the end of the episode that he's in the holodeck and he's not real and he's like but what about my wife and kids and you know our our heroes leave and like the door is shut and the lights go out whatnot it's super maybe he was shot partway through somebody else was somebody real was shot as well but my point being like that was a super poignant ending at least at the time you know before he had eighteen thousand holodeck on wrong stories but there's a you can have a potency there and you can sit and say oh man 1930s holodeck guy and he died you know they turned the holodeck off and that was it for forever and you don't necessarily get that with characters that are flesh and blood in the fiction of the show so uh i might be with steve there pete last tweet from craig that's at entropic enigma uh said it's all about badgie it is all about badgie uh yeah great character Actually, Pete, you know, before we move on, there was a tweet, there was a series of tweets from last week uh, that I said I would read and then I, I honest to goodness forgot about. So I want to get to them. Um, and there's a little bit of a backstory here. So our Twitter pal, Trekkie Tantrums, who always does a great job 
calling out anti-Star Trek goofballs. That 90% of the people that Trekkie Tantrums calls out, it's nonsense. Like, it's like, you know, J.J. Uh, Abrams hurt my eyes and I will never forgive him with all the lights he shines. It's like, okay, fine. 10% of the time, by the way, Trekkie Tantrums is shining a spotlight on people that are racist, sexist, misogynistic, homophobic. Uh, I can say proudly, uh, some of those people, the Trekkie Tantrums has highlighted, I've reported to Twitter, and because Twitter takes forever and a day, like a month later, it'll be like, oh, this person did violate whatever. I don't know what Twitter does with them from now, but Trekkie Tantrums, not just shining some humor, but also some seriousness there. That's the backstory. So Trekkie Tantrums had highlighted Twitter user Sean, that's Sean58703189, uh, who, you know, part of Trekkie Tantrums is a kind of Twitter bio is you know all hail king kurtzman so thus our story begins here's what sean had to say all hail king kurtzman you aren't a trekkie just get out of here if you think kurtzman trek is trek you are a shame to tell all real trekkies and roddenberry himself you lack integrity you lack taste even to say std stp is trek sorry you are a sellout to corporate so i saw that and I had replied, as I do sometimes, this notion that o that the only people that like current Star Trek are being paid. So I replied and said, is there a place where someone can sign up to get that sweet corporate dough asking for a friend? And then Pete, Sean, turned his or her phasers towards us. Yeah, GTFO, you loser. I really dislike SJW. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll insert the next word. D word, lick you. And for even liking STP STD when you try to promote yourself and that pathetic site. Uh, wow, so, okay. that, we have a pathetic site. High five. I guess so. And uh, Pete, this is not the first time. And I, I'm going to say this 100% seriously. This is not me trying to be cute here. Some of the people that Trekkie Tantrums highlights, they seem to have some of these anti-Star Trek people that, again, in that subset of who Trekkie Tantrums highlights, they have an, a real focus on like K Kurtzman and current Star Trek people performing sex acts. Yeah. Like, you know, here Sean just said, I really dislike, you know, D word lick you. Uh, but Sean, so, okay, fine. I, I, I fired a little bit of a shot. Sean fired back. Then Sean continued, You are a bandwagon idiot. You're that type of loser, nothing to do with Trek. That when something comes out, you are like, That's so cool. That's so awesome. F that S, again, I'm editing lightly, stuff like STD, STP, LD, suck, S word. Just because they have Trek stamped on it doesn't mean it's Trek. Uh, Sean continues, what kind of BS politics do they put in STP? Also, they just dropped all the character development in Prev Trek, I assume it's previous, swapped out their personalities. Kurtzman had so much material good well thought out material and just made some stupid bland sci-fi let the ratings speak which is another anti-star trek theme that the ratings are terrible you just can't find them so i i said you know like hey i'm going to share this perspective on the podcast you're golden sean uh sean then replied yeah or sorry yup take my messages and spread my word cbs sucks <laughs> you and your podcast of fake a trekkies suck Tell it like it is, dude. STD sucks so hard. Again, Pete, we're back to the the sucking of things. Yeah. STP is just, this is the last sentence here. STP is just total ruins for all our beloved Star Trek characters and damn Kurtzman, the guy that 
effed, changing the word, effed up Star Trek and Star Wars. So, Pete, <laughs> question number one, and I think I replied because uh, I the question I'm about to ask you, I'd replied to Sean, and after about six more barrages, I was like, friend, I'm now going to put you on mute. Thank you for brightening my day a little bit. So, Pete, as I close this screen cap here and can finally uh, delete Sean's uh, messages, can you review for me the role that Alex Kurtzman played in modern in the modern uh, Star Wars trilogy? Or any Star Wars ever. None. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. Uh, Pete, it's probably because, again, what do you get from the, the fervent, uh, uh, misinformed anti-Star Trek people? It's always three things. It's um, the secret J.J. connection. So that's probably the implication there. Kurtzman and J.J. have worked in the past. Uh, therefore, J.J. is secretly behind the scenes of this, and Kurtzman is secretly behind the scenes of Star Wars. Uh, it's that the ratings are terrible, uh, and uh, th that nobody who makes Star Trek now likes Star Trek. Uh, as you can see from this episode of Lower Decks, where they didn't make any references to hol holographic uh, characters from the past. Well, and that leads me to my question. Um, is Sean an actual individual, or is he a holodeck character gone awry wow that would be that would be something like maybe maybe a rutherford level person okay wanted to create an ai a modest ai you know in the form of a clippy or in the form of a of a uh apple assistant whose name i won't say otherwise my phone will beep you know or, or that sort of thing um and maybe it wanted to debate star trek with it and then now it's taken all of the the misinformed hate, and now you know is Sean this badgy, clippy anti Star Trek hate bot gone awry? I think that's a good question. One of my favorite memes is we showed a computer uh, this hundreds of hours of this, and then it wrote a a, a screen page, a, a, a script page or a, a brief episode or whatever. Like, you know, we, we showed uh, a bot 200 hours of uh, Guy Fieri footage, and then it wrote a, a sample page, and here it is. And it's always the funniest nonsense, and I feel like that's what you get in engaging <laughs> these people back. Uh, I remember I saw one that was a Batman one where it was like, no, you know, take cake, I make riddle. Riddle, why funny? <laughs> funny robin fly bird you know it's you're right there is pete listen there's a reason i didn't i didn't outright block sean uh but did mute him in part because i just you know i i think that's that's an example of the world that we're at today where sometimes you can have the star trek like conversation uh whether it's about star trek or about whatever and try and reach a breakthrough and sometimes you can't so you just close those hailing frequencies and your ship goes one way and you say that's why there's the neutral zone of social media silencing. But Pete, not silent. Building bridges across the continents, bringing the world together, is the one, the only Admiral Fred, from whom we will hear now. Hello, Matt and Pete, and all listeners to Fantastic Geek. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Star Trek Lower Decks Season 1, Episode 6. It was a hectic episode again, with a lot of references to all kinds of Star Trek universe stuff, like engine sounds of the Enterprise D and Voyager, like 
holodeck programs with Sherlock Holmes, Robin Hood, Sigmund Freud, Einstein, Da Vinci, Stephen Hawking, etc. And of course the trope with a holodeck program that goes bunkers and all the safety protocols are not in place. Mentioning Q again. I was really expecting that he would pop up now because it was announced in the Star Trek day. But we obviously have to wait a little bit for another episode. I get the impression that promotion is really a way of getting rid of people. Like Freeman promoting her daughter to lieutenant in a way of giving her all kinds of shitty jobs. And that she then would leave. And in this case with Fletcher more or less the same. This also let me realize that the lower decks are not the lowest, but we only see enzymes actually operating here. Where are the normal crewmen? Or is this just because? As a story option, promotion should be an option. You don't promote a crewman to a lieutenant, for instance. This Fletcher was quite a conflicted person and had quite some contradictions in himself because on one hand he could be very angry and bossy towards the Delta crew and he could be very good in communication as we saw in the restaurant with the doctor and on the other hand he is completely uncertain of himself and he was quite a rotten apple in Starfleet's basket. Biggest joke I found was how does the doctor get cheese out of her fur in a sonic shower? Okay, that was all for now. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. So Pete, I know we don't want to get too spoiler here, but Fred asking, where's my cue? I mean, it's going to be somewhere in the next three or four weeks, right? Four episodes left. It's it's in there. Uh, After the release of the first couple episode titles, they've been oddly secretive. And then... Okay, you're doing the promotion of Star Trek Day. Gimme, gimme in terms of some kind of spoiler. Uh, Build as a blink and you miss it, yet put in a promo. So it it seems they've kind of confused, but it's not unusual for the uh, promotional people to confuse intent. Uh, So we'll have to see. So Fred also kind of asks this, uh, this question about rank. And it's one that's rather, in my mind, rather central to Star Trek in that we normally in Star Trek uh, just get the, you know, in the in the Navy, in the United States Navy at least, there's officers and there's enlisted crew. Um, and the officers are the ones that have those familiar, you know, ensign, lieutenant, lieutenant uh, commander, commander, captain, etc. Uh, and they're overseeing enlisted crew. Um, which if I quick go on a website here, you know, it's going to be things like seaman recruit and seaman and petty officer and things like that. So Star Trek tends not to show enlisted crew, uh, whether that is because the stories are always with the best and brightest and the bridge crew and all that. Um, or it's just a simplified narrative thing where we're just going to use the officer ranks. Uh, O'Brien is the exception to it. And if you want to go down, the deepest of rabbit holes as to there's a whole article on trying to conjecturize O'Brien's rank throughout the years because they just threw various things on him until he needed like a proper until he was officially an enlisted person in Deep Space Nine. They just kind of threw all sorts of pips and this and that the other on him. So there are these attempts to retcon his his career ups and downs and all that. But 
Uh, I w- Fred, to answer your question, my interpretation is on most Starfleet ships, you don't have enlisted crew. It's all just officers, which I know is not how things are done in the real world. Uh, a U.S. nuclear submarine is going to have 10 officers and 100 enlisted crew. Um, it seems that on something like the Cerritos, it's just 110 or so officers and maybe that's why there's so many ensigns because that's taken the place of the 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 grunts doing the real work your enlisted crew yeah and i again i think it's this idea where they are seemingly interchangeable you conjectured before how many classes come through a starfleet academy in a year the placement uh where are they going somebody's got to fill in all the all the ensigns that get assimilated or blown up in, you know, a a Klingon war or whatever it is. Pete, this is part of what makes Star Trek fandom so great is we can dig into the minutia of the minutia and have fun talking about rank structure, promotion uh, calendars, promotional schedules, et cetera, whatever it might be. But uh, Pete, with only four episodes left, we, of course, do want to keep the Star Trek conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? You can talk minutia with me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 11,554 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter is looking back lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek. All one word with the P and the H. Like it today. Well, Pete, barring any unforeseen uh, announcements in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek, we will be back next Saturday to talk episode 107 of lower decks uh as those lower decks sands move through the hourglass we of course move ever closer to the october 15th premiere of star trek discovery as we continue the uh 23 weeks of star trek uh but wherever you listen we'll be talking lower decks next we think for now though i will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word choo choo